the Blue Gold Report. Irish reporters Todd Burlidge and Mason Plummer get ready for Notre Dame football game day Saturdays only on 1380 The Fan. Welcome to the Blue Gold Report, a rare episode with Notre Dame playing for its first ever conference football championship, quite possibly its last, in a repeat opponent, which is also rare. We thank everybody joining us on Fox Sports 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM in Fort Wayne. All eyes will be on Charlotte for part two of the most anticipated matchup in college football this season. In my opinion, a rematch between Clemson and Notre Dame. Notre Dame took the first gig here, 47-40 in a double overtime game up here in South Bend. We're going to preview this game. We're going to look at the big playoff picture and what happens Sunday when those invitations are announced. And oh yeah, it was early signing day this week as well, so tons going on. Mason Plummer, my co-host, will break all that down for you. I'm Todd Burlich. I'm a contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated, and I just mentioned him. Mason, introduce yourself, man. What's going on, everybody? My name is Mason Plummer. You can find me on Twitter at MasonPlummer underscore. I'm the recruiting guy over at blueandgold.com. Yeah, Todd, I'm at you from the, from the road today. I just landed in Indianapolis, came from Key Largo, sunny Key Largo. I spent the the week there. Needless to say, it's very cold in Indiana compared to what I was just used to for a week. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Well, I hope you had a chance to sip down a couple coldies and enjoy your stay down there. We will get to all of that, but as we start every show. Gold Rush. Have a three-pack for you here, folks. Dalen Hayes, he was selected one of three finalists for the Jason Witten Man of the Year Award. This is a player given to the Division One player who best exemplifies leadership, courage, integrity on and off the field performance and nobody does that better than Dalen Hayes given the work he has done in it as an outspoken advocate to fight racial injustice and inequality. Probably the biggest news outside of the game and outside of the early signing day was Clark Lee, Notre Dame's third year defensive coordinator. 38 years old, he will be leaving Notre Dame as its defensive coordinator to take the head coaching job at Vanderbilt. He is a Nashville native there. He actually played fullback for Vanderbilt. Spent three seasons here at Notre Dame as the defensive coordinator and did a fabulous job. Well worth it. We wish him well there. Certainly no hard feelings on his way out the door. Early signing day, six of the players that signed their letter of intents have fathers that at least had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Probably most notably, Ron Paulus III, quarterback. His father, Ron Paulus II, was here, played for Notre Dame and is now part of the staff, part of Brian Kelly's staff. Offensive lineman John Alt, his son Joe, an offensive line recruit. Defensive lineman Marco Spindler, his son Rocco, an offensive lineman, a standout one. Defensive back Lorenzo Stiles, his son Lorenzo Jr. will be a wide receiver in the 2021 class. Offensive lineman Aaron Johnson, his son Caleb is a 2020 run recruit. Defensive lineman Angel Rubio, his son Gabriel, also a member of this team. Gold Rush. Okay, Mason, let's dive right into this. I want to start with the Clemson game because I think, obviously, that's the most pressing news and and the one thing everybody's talking about. A lot will change from the Clemson side of the football. When they were here and Notre Dame beat them 47-40, Clemson played with a backup quarterback, no Trevor Lawrence, the best quarterback in the country, and a ton of defensive linemen were out for that game. I was surprised, maybe I shouldn't be, but I was actually shocked when... Clemson was made a 10.5-point favorite in this game, but when you look at what they were missing the first time around, perhaps that goes to explain that. Mason, I don't know what to make of a repeat game. Is it revenge? Is it Clemson being healthy, a neutral site? How much do you think these coaches can draw from game one? I think a lot can be drawn from it. I think that 
uh, Clemson defensive coordinator Brett Venables completely just disregarded the fact of, that Ian Book can run the ball, and that was a huge part of why Notre Dame was so successful. Ended up putting up 47 on his Clemson Tigers. Um, as far as the Notre Dame side of the ball, you got to stay focused. Clark Lee's departure was untimely, to say the least. Um, everything that's come out of Notre Dame is that the team staying focused, and Lee hasn't really shifted his focus to Vanderbilt just yet. But at the same time, that's uh, that's a really key departure. And you want to make sure that everybody stays locked in. This is a huge game for Notre Dame. I think win or loss, they're in the playoff. But it's all about seeding and positioning at this point. you got to give yourself the best chance you can to get to a national championship. Yeah, and certainly if you get routed by Clemson, that might put some doubts in people's mind. We'll break down that playoff picture here in a little bit. Let me give you the basics of this game. It's a 4 p.m. start on ABC. I mentioned that Clemson is a 10.5-point favorite in this one. There will be limited fans at the stadium, 5,240 to be exact, mainly family and football friends here. Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. It'll be partly sunny, 51, no wind whatsoever, so a perfect day for football. Ian Book was asked this week if he can take anything away from a second matchup, and he said there is one similarity, and that's nobody's given Notre Dame any respect. That's just kind of the nature of Notre Dame to begin with, um, and I think you know we've had November 7th you know, circled on our schedule for a long time when we first were going to play Clemson, and not many people thought we'd win that game. Uh, we heard the outside noise, and uh, we were able to get that win and, and prove ourselves right. And that's kind of what we do. It's all about the guys in our room. We're proving them right. And, you know, we don't really worry about everybody else. But there was a lot of doubters, and it, it felt good to get that win and, and just believe in each other. This whole team believed that we could win before that game even started, and, and that's what it's about. And I think this game would just be the same thing. People are probably saying a lot of things about their players being gone, and now they're back. There's no way. And it's just about what we do here at Notre Dame every day in the Goog and on this field and putting in work. It's about us. And we believe we can do it, and that's what matters. So here, Ian, talking about the doubters there, I always think that's a little bit, bit of an overplayed card, Mason, where you rally around folks that are dissing you. Do you think there's anything to that? Am I undervaluing that? I think there is something to it, and I think Notre Dame would prefer to have that outlook. I think the coaches are saying, yes, you did win that game, but you've got to prove yourself yet again. Nobody's picking Notre Dame to win this game. At least that's what they're telling them. You might see some people pick Notre Dame, but the coaches are in their ear telling them, nobody expects you to win this game. Similar to round one, whether whoever's at quarterback, minus the injuries, whatever, nobody expects Notre Dame to win this. You've got to go out there and earn every single blade of grass, every single down, and prove that you're the better team against a fully healthy Clemson. This is a landmark game for Notre Dame. There's uh, no really other way to put it. I think when I look at the big picture, is that Notre Dame controlled Travis Etienne in the first game. What they hold him to, Mason? Let me look that up real quick. 28 yards. Yep, 28 yards. There you go. 1.6 yard average. You sort of predicted it, and you said when no Trevor Lawrence, they were going to put the heat on ETN to actually make them beat him, and he was unable to do that. I thought the three keys in game one for Notre Dame were really to win the trenches, both offensive line and defensive line, win the turnover battle, and more importantly than anything, Mason, start fast and I'm going to ask you about this in a second. I thought the key also was holding Clemson 4 of 15 on third downs. That was clutch getting the defense off the field when they had to. But I want to back up a little bit to that start fast. If there's one knock I've had on Notre Dame even as they've been playing well and winning sizably, it's they really started slowly and you just can't do that against Clemson. I absolutely agree, Todd. I think that I don't want to say that Clemson was overlooking Notre Dame by any means, but I still felt that in the first matchup, Clemson felt as if they were the better team. But on the, then on the very first play of scrimmage, Kyron Williams takes it to the house. 
Um, it's a kind of a, a proverbial thing to say now, but you punch him in the mouth. And that's exactly what Notre Dame did on that first play with Kyron Williams. I think you got to do that again. Just get yourself hyped up. The Notre Dame bench was already hyped, and then right after that touchdown, it was wild. So you got to get those guys amped, and I really think that amped up the defense too. You know, you can do this. It, it takes a whole group effort, and starting fast, and that's the beginning of it. Yeah, for sure. And I'm looking at the scoreboard now, or the score sheet, I should say. Notre Dame was up 23-10 to 10 in that first game against Clemson. And as I talk about fast starts, they needed every bit of it as they ended up winning in double overtime, 47-40 to 40 in a classic matchup. Dabo Sweeney was also asked, what does it mean to be playing a team for a second time? And just like Ian Book said, he said, not a whole heck of a lot. It's just neutral. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's like uh, it's like going and, and having, you know, three scrimmages in the fall and you scrimmage the same defense and they scrimmage the same offense. You know, sometimes the scrimmage is, is the defense wins, sometimes the offense wins and, you know, you're familiar with each other. And, you know, uh, it all comes down to, you know, this moment, this day. I mean, yeah, it's kind of neat when you can actually watch tape. I mean, we play a lot of opponents every year where you can you can look back and study, but teams change every year. So it's unique that you can look at uh, a game from your season and, and kind of see the matchup and have a, uh, a little more feel for uh, the personnel involved. But – you know, it's it still comes down to you know these four quarters, uh, blocking, tackling. So Dabo said, "Man, they've been ready to kick this thing off for a week. Now they're finally going to get their chance to do so. It's going to be a different looking Clemson team, but I think from November seventh when Notre Dame beat them, I think it's an improved Notre Dame team as well." By the numbers, seven. That's the number of wins Clemson is looking for tonight in the ACC championship game. Their only loss coming in 2009 to Georgia Tech. They've won six in a row, including each since 2015. Four. With number two Notre Dame facing off against number three Clemson, it marks only the fourth time that two top five teams have played a rematch in the same season, going all the way back to the first AP poll in 1936. All three of those games were won by the losing team in the first matchup, all by 21-plus points. Playoff talk, Mason. I'm getting my sheet ready to go here. Playoff talk. Really not any changes again in the college football playoff poll. The most recent one, Alabama number 1, 10-0. Notre Dame number 2, 10-0. Clemson number 3, 9-1. Ohio State number 4, 5-0. Texas A&M number 5 at 7-1. and one. Texas A&M has a pretty good profile, some pretty good wins. They did lose to Alabama, their only loss of the season, 52-24, to which knocks A&M out of the SEC championship game. The Aggies will wrap up their season today playing Tennessee as a 13-point road favorite, A&M is. And then Iowa State is 6. Uh, they are 7-2. and two. They will play Oklahoma 8-2 and two in the Big 12 championship game. A two-loss Iowa State team, I can't really see making it. Uh, again, Oklahoma, I think, is out as well. So I think we're talking about Texas A&M, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama. My eyes are on this Texas A&M team. But being that they're not even in a conference championship game, I kind of diminish their resume a little bit. So Notre Dame beats Clemson. 
Is there any way an Alabama wins? Alabama holds serves and holds serve and beats Florida. Do you reckon that Notre Dame is stuck at number two and will not leapfrog number one, or do you give Notre Dame the chance of being the overall number one seed? I think there's definitely a chance, and there's definitely an argument towards Notre Dame being that number one seed. A lot of people will argue that Alabama, you know, the eye test, the committee likes to use the eye test. That Alabama's been the number one team, and I, I get that too. But I think Notre Dame definitely has a case without Trevor Lawrence or those defensive players. I still think Clemson's comfortably a top five team, and then with all of them, I think they're rivaling for the number one position. So if Notre Dame manages to pull that off, I think they they could have a chance to lock down that number one spot. Okay, so now let's flip the cards here. So if Clemson beats Notre Dame, and it might have an impact on what this game looks like, but if Clemson beats Notre Dame, can you find a scenario where Notre Dame's out of the playoffs? I really don't think so. Uh, I've ran through it in my head a lot. I actually had a lot of time to think about it when I was on the plane, Todd, <laughs> and I, I don't I don't think so. I think it might uh, Notre Dame and Clemson might switch their positions, but I don't see how you move Notre Dame, much less out of the playoff, but out of the top three. So uh, I think Notre Dame is going to go into this game trying to prove a point and still win it, but at the same time, I don't think that they're going to be moved out of the playoff by any means. Do you think Clemson could be if Notre Dame beats the Tigers? You you find a way where Texas A&M with a win over Tennessee might bump Clemson out of this picture? I think if Notre Dame beats Clemson, there there's there's no way that Clemson should be in the playoff. They don't have enough quality wins for me. You've lost your two biggest games of the season against Notre Dame. Mighty Ohio State at 5-0. and They're trying to bend every rule in the Big Ten to get, get the Buckeyes into this playoff. They will be playing in the Big Ten championship game as a 19-point favorite against Northwestern. So not a lot on that resume, but at the same time, a 6-0 Ohio State team is certainly already in the picture. What came out Friday that's so interesting to me, Mason, is even if Notre Dame makes the playoffs, Brian Kelly was saying, we may not even go. Brian Kelly was animate, probably about as animate as I've heard him on any topic when asked about if a one-loss Notre Dame team should be in the playoffs. He totally diverted subjects and said, you know what? It's not about that. It's about being able for these kids to enjoy that playoff moment with their families and perhaps a couple of friends in the stands. What he's referencing is the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, outside of Los Angeles, is one of the sites for the semifinals. The other one is the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans with Los Angeles area on a lockdown order. At this point, it doesn't look like any fans would be around in the Rose Bowl. And let me just start with Brian Kelly here. He says that will be unacceptable. Here's the only thing I'm going to say. Okay, they got to figure out how to make sure that whatever sites they play at, that the parents are going to be watching their sons play. That's what they got to figure out. So maybe they need to spend a little less time on who the top four teams are and figure out how to get parents into these games, because it is an absolute shame and a sham if parents can't be watching their kids play. My kids have been on campus here since June, okay? They haven't seen their families very much at all. They've had to fight through COVID. Some of them have had COVID. They haven't had to be, they can't be around their families for Christmas. I'm going to have them here for Christmas. I'm going to bring in families that aren't theirs during Christmas. And you're going to tell me we're going to have a playoff and maybe one site can have families and the other can't. Please. S- somebody's got to wake up in that room and, and figure this out. Or we, you just might as well just call this the professional league. 
because nothing speaks to this is just about, uh, you know, having a, a playoff and we don't care about the student athletes. So I know I went off on a tangent, but I am so sick and tired of this playoff committee talking about having sites where you can't have parents at it and their, their families. It's ridiculous. Sorry. Dabo Sweeney agreed with him. He said, you know what? This is about the kids. You've asked so much of these kids. You really need to celebrate them a little bit and have their families be a part of this playoff. How do you, where do you land on this, Mason? I think they're absolutely right. While I, I think it's a little bit of smoke from, from Brian Kelly and Dabo Sweeney, meaning that I don't think Notre Dame's going to turn down a chance to play in the college football playoff, but it's certainly a threat to the college football playoff and the Rose Bowl and all of the above, really. That So Notre Dame has, has been able, and all the college football teams have, for the most part, have been able to play in front of friends and family. And then right. now on the biggest stage, they're not going to be allowed to play in front of their friends and family where they've worked so hard. And these kids have had to bend and be so flexible during the season to even let it happen for guys like you and I to keep a job. And then now they're not they're not allowed to play in front of their friends and family. I expect there to be a resolution here probably in the next couple of days, Todd. You can't have two of the best three teams in the nation in Notre Dame and Clemson threatening to not come. I think something's got to be fixed. I think Brian Kelly actually said that we're living in the ashes of tradition, uh, playing the Rose Bowl in California. To move, move the site and let let fans come. You don't have to have the Rose Bowl as the college football site. I think that uh, I think the game should be moved, and if not, at, let the fans come in. Well, here's Brian Kelly expanding on that a little bit, and he agrees with you. I'm not sure we'll play in the playoffs if parents can't be there. To be honest with you, why would we play if if you can't have the families at the game? So. A bowl game? Yeah, we would opt out. If, if you can't have families at bowl games, I mean, why would you go to a game where your families can't be part of it? What, what's the sense of, of playing a game, you know, in, in, a, in an area of the country where, you know what I mean, nobody can be part of it? Look, there, there's so many sacrifices these kids have had to make. And, you know, to go to a bowl game where there's no real opportunities for them to do anything, right? They're going to stay on campus. They may show up at the bowl game 24, 48 hours prior to. Um, so there's no real reward. Go home and see your families. You know what I mean? Go home for Christmas. That's that's the reward, really, more than anything else. Um, I get it. We're in a pandemic and, and there's, you know, restrictions and things like that. But, you know, it, 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 we got to think about the student athletes in this situation and, and um, not not having a, a chance to share this with their families after being away and sacrificing so much. You can see why they wouldn't want to play. And you make a good point, Mason, because if you can't have fans in the stands, you're not making any money anyways. So why do you want to bring Clemson and Notre Dame across country to play a game there for really no financial gain, really no reason other than some exposure risk for these kids? They'll figure it out, but I totally get where these two coaches are coming from. All right, Mason, we have that all broken down for everybody. Let's get into recruiting. I think what jumped out at me is even after the actual signing day on December 16th, they had two new flips, and that is LSU safety career G and Michigan State running back Audric Estime. Tell me briefly a little bit about these two late flips for Notre Dame. These were ones that were in the making, putting on Audric Estime for a while now. The Michigan State former commit, now he's signed and committed to Notre Dame. Um, he had a lot of interest in Notre Dame from the beginning. Notre Dame was kind of slow playing Estime's recruitment, and a lot of respect to him in that sense because that's not an easy thing to do. 
I think Notre Dame was essentially his dream school. He committed to Michigan State a while back to be safe, but Notre Dame was always going to be in the mix once they offered him, and then the, the flip happened. The Kari Gee one is what I really want to focus on because that one was crazy. So it just kind of fell apart with LSU. LSU's changing defensive schemes. And when he when Kari Gee dropped his top 10 just a few months ago, Notre Dame was not included, Todd, after offering him this past March. Wow. So Notre Dame was not in the picture. He actually reached out to the coaching staff, and Terry Joseph and the Notre Dame coaching staff were elated to have him in this class. I think that he's he's such a great player. He's such a great talent. Give me any defensive back from, from the Georgia area. Um, I think he, without – being too crazy here, I think he has the chance to be another Kyle Hamilton for Notre Dame Todd. Nice, nice. 6'3", 190, so certainly a good build there. And you mentioned having a defensive player flip. I know when the Clark Lee announcement was made that he was moving on to Vanderbilt, I'm sure a lot of anxious Notre Dame recruiting fans, you included, had to wonder what this defensive class was going to look like. Was it going to hold together? There are 12 members of it, including six defensive backs. I thought Notre Dame did a great job being proactive with these recruits to keep them committed and calm during this process. That's certainly a testament to the Notre Dame staff. Nick Lezinski, Clark Lee, they're both great recruiters. And with Clark Lee leaving, that obviously put a lot of players and kind of some angst, like, man, like, just a couple days before signing, you're really going to go up and leave. And I don't think that was Lee's intention. It happened very quickly. As he was quoted as saying, it happened very quickly. But uh, kudos to them for keeping all of all of the commits intact, getting them all to sign. You don't want to hit them with any surprises. And uh, they kept it strong and true. A lot of schools saw some flips away from their school, and Notre Dame was not one of them. Mason, I'm going to throw you a couple questions here. Make them short and sweet, my friend. Offense, offensive recruits, what jumped out? Tyler Buckner is the, uh, the quarterback, man. He's going to be great. Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, and Jaden Thomas are going to be a wide receiver trio. Notre Dame's going to talk about, Notre Dame fans are going to talk about for a long time. And then lastly, what is Notre Dame going to do in the running back situation? Logan Diggs was expected to sign this past Wednesday. He did not. It seemed like he was a little bit upset with the Audric Estime news. Notre Dame was always intending to take two backs, but essentially gave him an ultimatum. He decided to sign in February, Todd, we'll keep everybody updated with that. But it's certainly something of note to keep an eye on. Defensive side, what jumps out? Prince Colley, man. I love this kid. He's the new Rover. He's the new Jeremiah Wusikoromoa, Todd. We're going to be talking about him for a long time as well. And then this defensive back class, six guys, six defensive backs, all super talented. I think Notre Dame has struggled to, to recruit the defensive back position for some time now. Not in this class or the past class, really. I really think that Notre Dame is making strides to become one of the premier defensive back sites in college football, and it only proved it more in this 2021 class. Sounds like there may even be more to come, Mason, even with an already hefty class. Todd, there's 26 signees right now, and it's possible Notre Dame adds one or two more. Logan Diggs is the name to know. And then, of course, we can't go a show without mentioning Los Angeles cornerback Sear Wright. Looks like it's down to USC and Notre Dame in this one. Uh, I think USC is the favorite here, but as I said, we'll keep everybody updated. All right, Mason, I've been waiting on this one, bouncing back and forth on this one. It's time for predicts, but I'm going to make you start. Damn, you're always making me start. I'm going to go with Clemson 37, Notre Dame 27. I think just under the betting line here, um, Clemson's just too strong with this team. Um, I think Notre Dame's going to put up a, a fight for quite a bit in this one, but Clemson's going to prove to be strong in the end. I, I wanted to pick Notre Dame because I think this Notre Dame team passes the eye test better than previous ones for Brian Kelly, but he went 0-5 in his first tries against top five teams. I guess in theory he'd have to win four of those now in a row to claim a national championship. I think it's going to be tough to beat Clemson twice in a row. This is a game that the Tigers own. I'm going to go with Clemson 31, Notre Dame 28 in a heck of a ball game. Looking forward to it. Mason, reintroduce yourself 
tell them where they can find you, man. Yeah, Mason Plummer. You can find me on Twitter at Mason Plummer underscore. Mike Singer, my other recruiting guy, and I have been grinding on blueandgold.com, getting you all the latest info and news, anything when it comes to recruiting or football, any sport, Notre Dame, blueandgold.com is the place to be. Yeah, it really is. Future, past, with Lou Samoji, present with Patrick Engel, a lot of good stuff down there. We'll be all over that game at Blue and Gold, Blue and Gold Illustrated. You can find me at Todd Burlage on Twitter. Folks, enjoy the game. We'll recap it soon. Enjoy your weekend. Be safe and go Irish. Thanks for listening to this exclusive presentation of 1380 The Fan, the Blue Gold Report. And be sure to download the latest edition of the show wherever you download podcasts or go to 1380thefan.com. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.